Let me invite you once again to take your Bibles and open up to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, passage Steve read. I just want to look at one verse as you turn there, and then we'll go ahead and pause for prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, just look at verse 19 there. It says, quench not the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you once again that we can meet and just open up your word. And Father, as we go into this, as we meditate upon it, would you just give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Father, burn within our hearts a desire to listen, a desire to learn, and then a desire to live it out. I will give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. It's probably close to 12 years ago when I received a phone call there in South Africa uh, that one of my family members, it was actually my mom, was in the hospital and uh, needed to come immediately, right away, because they weren't sure if she was going to make it or not. And so that Sunday, after I preached, I grabbed all of our family and our kids and I sat them down and uh, as we were talking, like a lot of fathers do, I knew I was going to be gone for at least three weeks. I just began to counsel them uh, how to act when dad's not around, how to help in the home, how to help mom. And as we were talking, the children, uh, really the subject came up and they said something like this, Dad, uh, we do long to, to do what's right and obey, but we find it very difficult at times. This was coming from children at that time who were 10 and under, I thought, what a great example, really, of the struggles that I have and of the Christian life. One of the questions as we were talking and just going through that time of counsel is how do we live a life pleasing to God? And during that time in our Bible Institute there, we were going through the book of 1 Thessalonians and I was just getting ready to study this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I really do believe that it gives the answer of how to live a life uh, pleasing to God. Let me give you a little bit of the context. Go back over into chapter uh, 4, which is where this begins, and just look at verse 1. Look at how Paul begins. In verses chapters 1 through 3, uh, Paul has been dealing with uh, really thanking them for the salvation that God has wrought in their lives. Then starting in chapter 4, he encourages them to grow in that. So verse 1, he says this, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, now look at this phrase, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. And so as Paul begins the exhortation part of Thessalonians, his exhortation is that you would abound more and more in pleasing God. Just take your eyes down to verse 3. Look at what he says there. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. If you are wanting a definition of sanctification, just draw a line back up to verse 1. And that is walking to please God and abounding more and more in it. 
So Paul begins the session, this section, by telling us to abound, uh, grow in pleasing God, and then he begins to give a number of ways how to do that. But then he ends, I think, coming back to this idea with how do we do this? What are the God-given means that God has given us to live a life in which we are abounding, to live a life in which we are growing more and more in pleasing Him? And he begins in verse 19, as he begins to end with this little phrase, quench not the Spirit. Now the first word there, quench, as I'm sure you know, means to extinguish a light or to put out a fire. Uh, Last uh, night or yesterday afternoon, uh, my wife comes up and says, hey, why don't we go to the park, have a picnic? So we go to the park, we start burning some coals, we get the coals nice and hot, make our food, and then right there next to the grills was a big, uh, big kind of container with water in it. And then after you're done, you take those coals and you put it in there. And as soon as it goes in there, you hear this sizzling. Well, that's the picture here. Quench not the Spirit. And of course, you can never extinguish the Spirit. But really, the idea there is don't hinder, don't repress, or don't prevent the Spirit from exerting His work or His influence in your life. In essence, what Paul is saying is that you can hinder his influence or his activity in your hearts. So the command could go something like this. Stop putting out the fire. Stop hindering and repressing the Holy Spirit for in so doing, You are preventing him from exerting his full influence. Now that that brings a question, at least a question in my mind. Okay, Lord, I don't want to quench that. I don't want to hinder that. I long to uh, be yielded and to have the ability to walk in you, uh, to have your influence in my life. And so how do I do that? Well, look at what he goes on to say, because really these are building upon each other. So verse 19, quench not the Spirit. Look at the next one. Despise not prophesies. There's probably many things that are coming to your mind when you look at that uh, word prophecy. I know uh, there in South Africa we would have uh, different churches that would have prophesying conference and someone would come in and and uh, people would come to the front and they'd say, okay, I foresee this in your life. And then they would give this prophecy and, you know, I perceive happiness in your life. I perceive wealth in your life. It never comes, the wealth anyway. Um, but is that, what, is that what God means here? Prophesying, a simple definition of prophecy is declaring the mind of God in the power of of the Spirit. It's declaring the mind of God in the power of the Spirit. Now, of course, there's lots of discussion around this, but let me give you what everyone agrees on. 
And you don't need to turn to these. Let me just read these passages. Uh, this is found in First or Second Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. Peter says this, But know this first of all, that all prophecy of Scripture is a matter of no one's interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so Peter says that one way that God prophesied refers to the Holy Scriptures, which were not from man's opinion or man's ideas, although God used their personality and He used their character as He wrote, but it ultimately comes from the Holy Spirit. And so when you think of prophecy, ultimately think of the Scriptures that we hold in our hand. Another verse that everyone agrees on is prophecy is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3 where Paul says this, but one who prophesieth speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation or comfort. All right, so one of the purposes of prophecy was to build people up, was to exhort them to continue on, to walk with God, to obey God, and then to give comfort. I think to give comfort in a world where there are, are lots of hurts. Even this morning as uh, some of the prayer requests and testimonies that even Pastor gave with his own uh, family. I already had two sessions this morning with other people who are going through great hurts and pains. And so it's a time when this a purpose, purpose of prophecy comes out, it's a time to give comfort. So it refers to the Word of God, and then the purpose of God is edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now, let me ask you this question. Can you think of a setting in which this takes place every single week or multiple times a week? Where someone takes God's Word gives edification, gives exhortation, and then gives comfort. What setting do you think that is? I know this is simple, isn't it? What are we doing this morning? This is exactly what we're doing this morning. We are declaring the mind of God in His Scripture for the purpose of edification exhortation, and consolation. That's the one time that God has said, set this time. That's what the early church set the time aside Sunday mornings to do this. All right, so quench not the Spirit, despise not prophecy. So what does the word then despise mean? It means to give no value to or to give little value to. So the opposite of what Paul is saying here is that you give value to the Word of God as it's being proclaimed. Now, let me just talk about this setting for a little bit. Sunday mornings can be pretty tough, can't they? I mean, Monday through Friday is busy. 
you're working all week, you get home, some of you parents are working, uh, both of you parents are working, you come home, you then have families, uh, you get all the kids doing the schoolwork, you finally get the kids to bed, uh, sometimes at their bedtime, most of the time not at their bedtime. You finally get a chance maybe to talk or to relax a little bit. You get to bed around 10, 30, 11 o'clock, get up, do that again. Friday comes, and then Saturday is when your wife hands you the honey to-do list. And so Saturday is another day of trying to get things done around the house. You finally decide to relax at night and you turn on the TV. Finally, 10, 30, 11 comes around, you get to bed. And then Sunday morning comes pretty early, doesn't it? What are you thinking when Sunday comes around? There you are laying in bed. Alarm goes off. And you're thinking, boy, wouldn't it be great to just stay in bed? It's been a long week. It's been busy. But you know better. I know you know better because you're all here this morning. You know better. You get up. You finally go wake your kids up and you start getting your kids dressed. You get your shoes on your three-year-old and five minutes later you're looking around going, hey, where's your shoes? I just put them on your feet. And he doesn't know. He's clueless. And so for the next ten minutes you're looking for the shoes. And finally the teens are up. And you go to your teens and you go, hey, do you think maybe you could, your sons especially, you think maybe you could comb your hair before you go to church? No. You think maybe you could put on a smile and just pretend you have a, you're happy? No. Okay, well, I'm glad we had this talk, son. <laughs> you get to church. Everyone comes up to you. I mean, it's been just a wrestling match to get here. You get to church, and if you're a parent or a pastor, you put a smile on your face, and uh, how's things going? And I want to tell you, horrible. (laughs) Horrible. You come, you're tired, you sit down, you endure, and then you know i got to do this again next week. And yet here Paul comes and he says, don't despise it, but value the Word. Give it high esteem. And I, and I ask myself the question, and I, and I find this in my heart, why is it so many times that I don't value this setting? I think there's a number of reasons. Let me just read a quote that was very convicting to me, and Maybe it'll hit you where you're at. I know it hits me as a pastor where I'm at. And and here's the quote, the one that I've read many times and continue to go back to uh, by James Denny. And he says this, talking about why we don't value uh, this setting or value the Word. And he says this, It may be because we've been so often disappointed that we pitch our hopes so low. You ever had that? Maybe not here, but I know I, I faced this in South Africa. Remember one time we were in a shop, and um, one of the ladies, a Jewish lady, 
uh, who was in our, in our town comes up to me. She goes, are you the pastor now at Lakeside? We had just been there for a little over a year, started, helped starting this church. She goes, are you the pastor at Lakeside Baptist there? And I said, yes, I am. And really didn't greet. She looks at me and she goes, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, go ahead. She goes, do you preach the Bible? Do you teach the Bible? I said, well, I think so. I, I, I try. She goes, well, because I go to church and I've been in a lot of churches and I could get what the pastor gets. They give me nothing. I thought, well, there could be another reason for that, but I didn't want to say that. I said, why don't you come? And she said, all right. She said, tomorrow I'm bringing my husband. This was a Saturday morning. She said, tomorrow I'm bringing my husband and we're going to test you. I thought, well, let me pull out my home run message. <laughs> we all have our home run messages. Sure enough, her and her husband come and they sit down over in the right side and very dignified staring at me. And we just opened the word. And the whole time while she was, while I was preaching, she's crying. Afterwards, she comes up to me. She says, thank you. You actually did open up God's word. She said, um, I actually came to test you, but I wasn't ever planning on coming back. A week after, she came back. A week after, she came back. Her husband is now one of the elders at the church. God has done a great work. But you've ever, she was so discouraged that she hadn't gone to church uh, really for a number of years. Uh, this is the type of lady she was. She was in one church where the pastor was preaching heresy. And she was sitting in the middle there, and she stood up. She said there was about 250, 300 people. They're about the size of this congregation. She stood up, and she yelled to the pastor, You're a heretic. I asked her husband, I said, What did you do when she yelled that? He said, I slid in my seat and tried to hide. <laughs> so I knew that I never wanted to be a heretic when I was preaching, lest someone stand up and yell, You're a heretic. But here was one who hadn't gone to church for a long time because she has been so disappointed. By the way, that is a strong warning, and I'm preaching to me as a pastor. When I stand behind this pulpit, I'm declaring the Word of God. And if I want to give my thoughts, I have to say this is Lee's sanctified thoughts. But this is God's Word. Because it's the one time when you guys are so busy all week long and Sundays are hard and yet you set a time aside this time to come and as a pastor, this is a great warning. This is why we prepare and pray and ask for your prayer for us. So it says it may be because we have been so often disappointed that we pitch our hopes so low. But then he goes on to say, but to expect nothing is to be guilty of a sort of contempt of anticipation. You're not expecting or anticipating God to do anything. He goes on to say, to despise not prophesies requires us to look for something from the preacher. Some word of God that will build us up in godliness or bring us encouragement or consolation or comfort. It requires us to listen as those 
who have a precious opportunity given them of being strengthened by divine grace and truth. He's saying what we have this morning and in any other setting is a very special, precious opportunity. And folks, if you don't believe that, just travel to the Middle East and to some of the persecuted countries. They would long to have a setting like this. Precious opportunity where we can come. We ought not to lounge or fidget while the Word of God is spoken or to turn over the leaves of the Bible at random or to look at the clock. We ought to hearken for that word which God has put into the preacher's mouth for us. And it will be a very exceptional prophesying in which there is not a single thought that it would repay us to consider. That's what it means to value God's word. We come with hearts opening. We come with ears open to hear. And we long to take what's being said and we're praying, Lord, give me something that I can take. Give me something that I can apply to my life. So if you're not going to quench the Spirit, what do you have to do? Despise not prophesying. Or the positive, value prophesying. Value the Word of God. Then verse 21, he says, prove all things. The word prove there means to test in order to verify the character of something. You're testing it. They used to uh, test metals to see how strong that metal is. It's like uh, testing diamonds. You go to the store, you're going to buy a diamond for your sweetheart. Pulls out the black velvet. They put the diamond on that black velvet. They put the spotlight on that diamond. And they say, one only cost about $463,000, but your, your sweetheart will love that. And I go, I know she would. You think we could go into the $200 range? But that's what the word test means. You're verifying the character of something. You're giving weight carefully to it. So what are you doing? When that which is being spoken, you're weighing carefully What is said with discernment? That means when you come in, guess what? You have to have your thinking caps on. You have to be analyzing, thinking. Is that really what the passage says? Is that what the Bible teaches? It's really exercising spiritual discernment. I used to cringe in my church in South Africa as, as people would come and maybe new people would come and uh, they would come and they'd say, you know who I really like to listen to? And then they'd give me a name and I'd go, ooh, ouch. No spiritual discernment. So he says you need to prove. And spiritual discernment is the ability to distinguish divine truth from error or half-truth. It's the ability to distinguish between right from wrong from good or bad. And this is vital 
to a healthy Christian life. So when you come, you're thinking, okay, as Pastor Lee, as he, as he goes to 1 Thessalonians 5, is that really what it says? Yep, check mark. Yep, yep, got that one. Yeah, I, not sure about that one. And so here's some questions you ask as you're discerning. Is it the plain truth of the Scripture? If I'm going into something that's secret, you better question. If I get up here on a Sunday morning, I say, folks, I got a secret truth that, that very few people know. You ought to go, huh, this ought to be interesting. Is it the plain truth? Secondly, does it correctly teach the person of Christ as taught in the Scriptures? This is where all cults go to. Occultism is they misrepresent who Christ is. Thirdly, does it emphasize God's free and saving grace through Christ? If you're going to discern, are we putting any works? And then fourthly, what is the known character of the speaker? Please don't answer that question, all right? What is the character of the one behind the pulpit? And then fifthly, does it build you up in godliness? Does it make you want to serve God? Just some ways to discern. So you're, you're testing it, you're proving it. And then verse 21 again says, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. And then verse 22, abstain from all appearances of evil. And so you're not despising the word of God, you're testing and if it's true, what are you doing? Here's the application. You're applying it, you're holding to that which is good, and you're avoiding every form of evil. You actively apply the word to your daily activities. So after the word has been proclaimed and has been tested as true, now you apply that teaching to your lives. If you're like me, sometimes you come to a service, you sit down, Five minutes after you leave and we get in the car, what do we talk about? Well, he says you're to apply that. If what you hear is true, if what you hear is right, it's taking what that is and you're making now the application to that. And so the hold fast to that which is good is you've applied the proper test, you found out that is true, you embrace it and you hold it fast. You don't throw it away. To abstain means that you avoid every form of evil. And the, the King James has um, abstained from all appearances. I, I don't really like that translation because that's really not the idea. It's not just the appearances, but it's, it's the thinking, the lying, the untruthfulness or the falsehood of something. And you're abstaining from that which God hates and abstains from. Alright, so if you're going to yield to the Spirit and have His influence, don't despise, value the Word of God. Make sure you're testing that it's right, and then you're applying it. If it's right, you apply it. If it's wrong, you say, no, that's not, that's not right. Now, let me make three applications on this and we'll close. So how do we apply this into our lives? I just want to make the application, especially, and we did this in South Africa as we were teaching our people. 
First of all, you know Sunday morning is coming, so plan. Plan. Get excited about the Word of God. That might mean for some of you that staying up till 2, 3 in the morning probably isn't the best idea. I could be wrong. You might be an owl, night owl and you say, you know what, um, I'm good at that. I can, I can stay up late and I can get up early and I can still make it. But I know for us and our family, we protect our Saturday nights. Uh, we don't usually try to have a lot of people over, at least late. We'll try to have them over in the afternoon. We try to get our kids to bed at a certain time because we know things are going to go uh, come quite early on Sunday. And we know that no matter what you do, nothing works out on Sunday morning. Nothing. And so plan. That's how you value. Plan it. Secondly, prepare. Prepare for what God is going to do and anticipate what God is going to do. Come with a heart that is ready as the word is going forth. And you're coming. You're saying, God, thank you. How can I live this out? And so you prepare that morning. Sometimes for me, that's getting up extra early, having five cups of coffee to try to get my blood going. It's spending a little bit of time and the Word of God saying, God, I need you. I need to hear from you. Prepare my heart. And then in this, don't take things too serious uh, before you get here on Sunday morning. It really is okay if your three-year-old comes with only one shoe, okay? Um, if, you're, if your kids come, you know, you've tucked in the shirts for your five-year-old, your six-year-old, and as you left, the shirt was all tucked in. But then when you get there, the shirt's halfway tucked in and his hair's like this. That really is okay. Or maybe you dads, that's you. That's okay. <laughs> We've learned not to take things serious on, on Sunday morning. Just let things relax. Just come. And then lastly, pray. Let's pray, Lord. And here's usually my prayer. I know how wicked my heart is, Lord. I know, Father, how I don't savor your word. I don't savor the things of God. Please forgive me, Lord, and help me, Father, to come with, with a readiness of mind. Help me to come with attentiveness to your word and flame my heart with a passion for you. I want to be radical for you. I don't want to be the carnal normal Christian. I want to burn for you. And if people go away going, you know, that guy's kind of weird. He always talks about Jesus. That's okay. Lord, burn within my heart for that. And then, Lord, help me to be more Christ-like today. As we come to the Word, let me have you turn, and I'll close with this one passage. This is one you can study on your own. But when the Spirit of God is at work and the Word of God is authoritative and you're applying it to your life, what does that look like? Turn to Ephesians chapter 3, and with this I close. 
Ephesians chapter 3. This is probably one of my favorite, uh, favorite prayers of Paul. When the Holy Spirit is at work empowering you to yield and to grow in Christ and to abound in that, what does that look like? Look at verse Look at verse 16. It says, Paul says that he would grant you, this is a prayer, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now look at this. To be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's the influence of the Holy Spirit in the inner man. Now what does that look like? Let me just give you one verse. Look at verse 17. So that, that's a purpose statement in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That word dwell means to reign or to sit on the throne. It means to take up residence in your home. And so when one is under the influence of the Spirit, when one who is under and values the Word of God, when one who is testing and proving and then holding, what is the outward appearance of that? Jesus Christ is on the throne of your life. And your passions are for Him. Your thinking is centered around Him. That's really what the Christian life is about. Christian life is not about a bunch of do's and don'ts, but ultimately about a relationship with Christ. As I look around, I pray that every single one of you here has put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you. That's what Christ came for. That's why God sent him in his love for you, to die for you, and with open arms, he invites you. But then for the rest of us, how do we grow? How do we abound more and more in pleasing him? I think Paul gives us the answer there in 1 Thessalonians 5. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Father, for really this great truth of not quenching the Spirit, but yielding to his influence. Father, maybe your spirit has worked in the heart of someone here this morning, maybe who has never put their trust in you. Father, I pray that you would just convict them, exhort them to come and put their faith in Christ and the finished work. We love you. We praise you for the work that you long to do in our lives to glorify you. In Jesus' name.